0: Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue, episode number 147. This interview is with Tamara McCleary, Ms. Relationship, who's an expert in relationships and organizational culture. An internationally recognized speaker and author, Tamara is ranked in the top 1% of global social media influencers. And in this podcast, Tamar and I discuss ways to help foster relationships in business, to break down silos, work across channels, and in different cultures. A vibrant conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. And enjoy the show. Welcome to the to Dialogue and Tamara McCleary. Friend common friend with Ted Rubin, we have you piped in from the States. Tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset, Tamara?
1: Well, I am um, I'm sitting here in a noisy conference, and I attend a lot of these, as you know. I I'm do sure. over, over 120 of them a year, so uh, it's great to connect with you. Likewise. I actually am all about relationships, wild about them. Uh, Professional relationships, which also uh, means organizational culture and work-life balance, as well as personal relationships, because my biggest push is the fact that whether our relationships are personal or professional, they impact our daily experience, and our experience is what really gives us that sense of quality in our life. Uh, And my mindset is one of wonder and amazement. It's just an amazing, amazing journey to be alive, what a gift this is. I live into the power of all possibility and in the knowing that we are in every moment creating whether we are conscious of it or not. So taking a look at taking responsibility for what we're creating and if we're feeling a negative feeling stopping and take responsibility to shift that into an experience of maybe learning instead of looking at it as negativity
0: isn't it true i mean this, there's this constant barrier between that which is professional and that which is personal you know you talk about you know well having a good personal relationship and it has an impact on your way at work and vice versa if you're pissed off at work and you come home with that pissed-offness, it's not good. And I like to to talk about, well, we should be teaching people at work to sleep better. Because, gosh, sleep has an impact on the way you are in the day, and yet it's considered too personal. While it could be, like, one of the best ways, you know, to improve our relationships.
1: Well, it's true. I mean, anyone who's uh, a parent or had a child, or anyone who's just been around a child or watched a child will know that, when they don't get enough sleep, it is absolutely a nightmare to be with them. And, you know, we're, we're not children anymore, but we still have that same inability to be as flexible and resilient when we're exhausted and tapped out. And we are at our best. We are functioning at our highest when we are well-rested. And that's just the human being.
0: Yeah, so often we hear, well, it's much better to have that stress, the the performance, the that sort of positive stress of performance. But if you're tired, it's sort of hard to pull on your extra reserves mm-hmm. to to perform at that time.
1: Exactly.
0: So when you're um, working uh, tomorrow with your companies and helping them building relationships, specifically and most oftentimes, I guess, within the company. How is it that you, how, how do you help companies go about breaking down the silos, the, the, the old-fashioned way of, you know, information is power and fear and control? How, how do you go about un, unwebbing that, all that sort of hard, bad wiring that we've had?
1: It's a great question. And primarily what I do when I go into a company is I, I shift the mindset from we all need to think alike into the mindset of difference is good mm. because differences to the table bring a thrill and excitement. We have increased creativity, increased problem solving ability uh, when we bring our differences together and we don't all try to think alike. And I think most organizations that I've worked with, when they can understand where someone else is coming from and at the same time, Neither side has to agree to adopt the mindset of the other but yet an appreciation for what that other brings to the table that's qualitatively different from their own. You begin to have an atmosphere, a culture of trust because no one feels judged. And that type of uh, cultivation of understanding, I think, creates the most opportunity. Or rich earth, rich ground for which to reap a harvest within a company of increased employee engagement, uh, increased trust, decreased attrition, increase in um, talent acquisition to the company because everybody feels supported, held, acknowledged, seen, and appreciated for who they are, and they don't feel the constraint to change who they are to fit within the company culture.
0: Well, so it makes me think of the expression, which is um, uh, go, go alone and you will go faster, go together and you will go further. However, um, when you're faced with a CEO who's dealing with the quarterly pressure, so the faster performance component, when you have, if everyone thinks the same, it's a lot quicker, but this diversity thing, gosh, it takes time and bloody hell, I have to you know, sit down and understand. And and so what are the kind of arguments that will persuade these rationally imbued CEOs who are listening to you probably saying relationships, emotion, empathy, and all this stuff is lots, very fine, but I need to do my number.
1: For me, where the CEO has buy-in is when I can demonstrate increased productivity and how it affects the bottom line. I mean, We all want to work with a CEO who is going to be the captain of the ship and is going to lead the, the company with strong leadership. And so I think it is uh, unrealistic to expect a CEO to embody all the qualities, but instead a good CEO is going to be someone who is very concerned with the bottom line as they should be and so they do listen and they do give it a lot of value with respect to relationships and company culture when it does prove to increase um, that bottom line as well as productivity and it does cost the company a lot of money when their employees are not engaged, when their employees are caught up in uh, strife and bickering, um, when employees are not engaged. They're disengaged, and you know I think that a really smart CEO sees the value of a well-oiled machine, and a well-oiled machine means people who know how to work together.
0: So, uh, Tamara, has it ever happened to you when you've gone into a company, and they say, uh, and you've been brought in by perhaps someone on the C-suite, and that person totally gets you, gets the relationship thing, but the CEO is the kind of the stumbling block.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so,
0: yeah. What do you do it, then?
1: Well, I work with a lot of CMOs, chief marketing officers, and they're, you know, a lot of times their biggest struggle is trying to get the CEO to share in this buy-in that these are important things for the company. And when the CEO does not align with that same vision, that is a big problem for anyone in the C-suite. Because I believe that the culture of a company, the feel you have of a company is driven top down. So if your CEO is not embracing the company mission and vision, it's going to be very difficult to achieve the goals that the company has set forth to achieve. So I think it's about uh, taking the CEO who may not initially share the vision and show them how what they want their ultimate purpose, their ultimate goal is best achieved, most swiftly achieved through embracing these other pieces that they may not embrace themselves, if we can shift the CEO into understanding the value of how it will get them to the goals they want, then we can make change. But quite honestly, if a CEO is not interested in making a change to affect those end goals, I mean you're pretty much powerless because it is driven top down and you know, the flavor of a company is directly impacted by the flavor of the CEO. They're the captain of the ship. Mm.
0: You know, a lot of times, uh, I've had experiences where I'm being brought in and the, the boss says, well, you know, we have to speed up this digital transformation. We're far too slow. Our agility is not there. We need to improve our communication. Uh, but I don't need to do it.
1: (laughs) And that's okay. You know, I've worked with with a lot of uh, top level execs who don't believe they need to do it. And that's quite all right because for me to be effective in a company, I don't actually have to, to have them believe that they need it or want it or desire it. All I need them to do is be willing to execute the plan and be in support of the plan. And, uh, That's what's required. So, you know, I I think, you know, I smile to myself when I think of a lot of the very, very strong, successful CEOs may not themselves be incredibly excited about doing it themselves, but they will support it. They will enact it. They will do what they need to do in order to make their teams most effective. And that's okay. That's all we need. So, we just need support to make the teams more effective.
0: Yeah. I, I just wrote a piece um, that, that dives into this notion of top-down and bottom-up. A lot of people say, well, it's all about top-down and we should do bottom-up. So bottom-up without top-down doesn't work. Right. But the thing that strikes me in that in that particular statement is actually what it is is the importance of the people in the middle. Because mm-hmm. if it's top-down and bottom-up, well, then the things that are holding it back is the middle.
1: Right.
0: And so then, so do you do a lot, is your most of your work targeted towards then the middle management?
1: Uh, my work is targeted at each segment, so we have to address the C-suite most certainly. Um, and then middle management, absolutely. And you know why middle management is critical and why I absolutely love middle management? Is that studies show that an employee's satisfaction is directly related to their manager. So their satisfaction isn't related to their CEO. Their satisfaction isn't related to the CIO or CMO. Their satisfaction is directly related to the person who is over them, oversees them, their manager. So if you have middle management that's on fire, that knows the company's mission mission and their vision, the values, what the goals are, and you have those folks really rallying around that they are rallying the troops. They are the ones that are on the front lines and leading those you know, armies. And I think if you get people in middle management who embrace that and they do inspire and empower those that are beneath them, you can actually run very efficient teams and make change bottom-up, like you said. And I do think those middle managers are so important. And, you know, I have a heart for middle management because I think middle managers work incredibly hard and just as hard as the this, this C-suite. And oftentimes middle management is not recognized for the power and the contribution that they make to the company.
0: Yeah, I just, um, I was reading, uh, one of my favorite people to follow is Vala Ashraf. Uh, And he did one about, um, the most important talents or, uh, what they're looking for from leaders. And the number one was leadership was, was vision and motivation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the second one was integrity. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, you're, when you talk about this notion of the relationship with your boss, it's, you know, and I think about sleep, you know, if you have a good boss and you've had a good night's sleep, gosh, your day is so much better.
1: Right. It sure is. It's it's the quality of those relationships. And if you have a good boss, um, you know, you do feel supported. You do feel valued. People want to feel valued. They want to feel, you know, important to the program. They want to feel like they're making a contribution. I mean, the greatest quote of all um, is that people need work to feel meaningful. Meaningful. They need the existence to feel meaningful. So work that is real to them, work that matters to them, this is what people want, to feel they're making a contribution with their unique personality, with their unique skill set, with their unique intellect. And everybody just wants to be seen, heard, and validated. That's really all they want.
0: So Tamara, you've been working on relationships, I'm going to believe, as I understand it, for quite a long time. To what extent... Has social media played a, a part? Either you know, do we, you know, you were doing it before social media, but how how has the arrival of social media made this so much more important?
1: The arrival of social media has been incredibly um, exciting because what it's allowed us to do is it's allowed us to have a unique voice. And also, with that unique voice, have social currency in this social economy so that what we have to express and to say now has a platform, whereas before it didn't. And so, social media has allowed us to make engaged connections with people that before we may never have ever met or engaged with because of. Even geographic boundaries, look at you and I, yeah. I mean, would we even be talking right now? You know, I'm in Colorado and you're all the way over there on the other side of the sea, you know, you're in Europe. And so look at us, we're actually Skyping, we're talking and, and it's, it's magical. It and is. So it mm. has given mm. power back to the people. Mm. People now have a voice. They have the ability to express themselves, and I think it's given meaning to a lot of people to feel um, seen by others. Mm. Look how many people enjoy a like on their Facebook page, Mm. or they enjoy a favorite or a retweet on Twitter, uh, a comment on LinkedIn. I mean, everybody, they're going to be honest with themselves, loves the feeling of that. Like, oh, someone saw my blog. Someone saw my post. Someone... I mean, it's that validation factor because we are human beings and we seek out connection and engagement, and that's how we thrive:
0: So when you're dealing with building relationships, how do you insert social media into that in let's say in a work environment anyway:
1: Well social has a place in the work environment, but it also doesn't have a place. Um, so I think social media has to be uh, well thought out. What's your plan? I mean, I don't see employees in their, on their iPhones, you know, contributing to their Facebook page during work hours. I mean, there, there definitely are constraints. I do think that a company to create brand awareness and presence has got to have a department or a person dedicated to Well, I'm saying that companies absolutely positively must be involved on social to be a part of the conversation. Broadcasting doesn't work anymore. And to be relevant as a brand, they, they have to be conversing with everybody out there and be a part of the experience rather than just trying to promote their product or service. But... What I was making the point about is I don't think that everybody in the company needs to be engaged on social media during work hours. I think that's a decrease in productivity. That's not helpful. We have to have certain parameters on how you use social media while at work. I mean, certainly if you're a clinician working in the hospital, you better not be taking selfies and posting them on Facebook while at work. So I mean, you have to use intellect. There has to be companies do have to structure what's appropriate, what's not appropriate during work hours. And um, but as far as companies and brands being a part of this social movement, they absolutely have to be. And those that aren't are going to get left behind.
0: And so I, I hear you. And uh, let, let's say in a uh, in in an area where it's not about risking, risking someone's life. Do you see Um, a a reason to encourage CEOs to be on social media or is that something you would say that's not that important?
1: I don't think CEOs have to be um, as engaged. Uh, I mean I don't think it's I think it's asking a lot of a CEO to embody the qualities of strong leadership as a CEO and you know if you've ever sat in an executive level position there's not a lot of time don't have time to hang out on Facebook and like everybody's stuff and make comments, so we need to be realistic. I mean, how far can they go? I do think that having a presence is important. I don't think that they're going to be invited as uh, social media mavens to speak at conferences, and I don't think they're going to have 250,000 followers on Twitter, but I think having a presence is important. Um, I don't think they have to be engaged all day long. I do think it helps if they have a social media department who can help and assist them with personalizing the message and making sure the message of the company's mission and vision and motivation, like you said, is is communicated. And certainly I don't think the CEO is the person to be responding to the, the customer. That's not the appropriate place for the CEO, but the CEO does have a social presence in that they are communicating the personality of who they are and people like that person and who they are. They admire their leadership skills and um, I do think that being on social is important, but I don't think that having your CEO be the social media maven is, is realistic. Yeah, I mean, totally. Too much to be done in a day to, to be on social media all
0: day. Yeah, I mean, I and mean, you know, aside from depending on the personality, they might have other things to to deal with uh, that are more priority. Um, so, uh, Tamara, I know that you're so you're out in Colorado, uh, and you, and you work a lot a lot in the states. But I was wondering what kind of examples you might have had. Uh, with foreign companies and cultures in in your work in building relationships. And how do you adapt your techniques and methods to accommodate uh, foreign foreign cultures, which can be so different?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I have worked with um, companies in the Asian Pacific Rim. um, And I would say specifically in working with a Japanese company, is doing the research. I I did. Actually, I had spent some time in Japan, so I knew what I was looking for. But culturally, in business there, it's much different than it is here. And part of honoring a culture, whether it's an organizational culture or it's a country's culture, is trying to first understand what things mean in that culture. What things mean in the United States are, are not translatable into a Japanese company. I mean, in the U.S., you could toss somebody your business card, and that's, that's cool. In Japan, you receive the card with both hands. You look at it, you consider it, and you give honor, and you bow in respect, and, you're deep, and how deep your bow is communicates the level of difference between you and the other and your amount of respect for them. So there's little differences that way. How they communicate disagreement with one another is much different than it is in the United States. And certainly the venue for voicing your disagreement is much different than it is in the United States. So uh, when you're going to go outside of your own country, the first thing I would say is, You know, you've got to realize that this is a big, big world, and not everyone does the things that we do in our little bubble. And part of honor, respect, and integrity means um, looking at who you're working with, customizing and tailoring your approach, completely dependent on what is acceptable in that society. And um, I I think that that is the best way that you can, A, honor the other, but B, I just, I have to say that I have great respect for other cultures and sometimes I wish that we did things a little differently. I actually do receive people's business cards now with two hands um, and thank them. And I do take a few moments to read over the card because it's my silent way of acknowledging the gift of them a, giving me their card, but B, I want to acknowledge who they are, what is it that they do and understand more about them. And it creates a space for pause and, and uh, a cessation of talking. I think in the United States we talk a lot. And I do appreciate learning to listen more and to be observant. And um, I think that goes a long way in creating relationships even here in the United States. So I, I think we all have something to learn at all times and other cultures, can, we can take um, what works there and apply it. And I know people stop me all the time and go, wow, that was really cool what you did with my car. And um, and I learned that in Japan.
0: That's beautiful, I love it. I've been to Japan at least uh, 13, 14 times. So I, I, I totally hear you. Um, that's great. Um, one the, so you mentioned it before. You know, CEOs, C-suite, they have everyone's running around. In fact, I believe that's pretty much everybody these days is running around. You know, everyone's under pressure. There's so much stuff going on, so much stuff to read, keep up going, and you start to perform. So with all this stuff going on, what seems difficult is to find the extra time to listen, to pause, and you know, so that we sort of activity fills vacuums. And so we're on, constantly on the run, but building relationships actually takes time to listen, get out of your bubble, uh, and, and, you know, and, and read the business card that you're being handed. So what, what advice do you have in helping people to find the time, to, you know, to help foster and build better relationships?
1: I, I, as far as the organizations and companies, what I teach, talk about, and train on is Uh, scheduling those times. So it's the same for the person who is receiving the communication. Say it's the manager. I I think having their door open all the time to constant interruption is not productive. I also think that it teaches people that they can just um, fire off whatever's top of mind for them. And that's also not effective and it's not productive. Uh, And so really Structuring times where your door is open, structuring times where you can hear things out and being very judicious on, is this important? And how I teach it is if you have a a problem or an issue or a complaint is you also need to bring a solution with you. So you don't just come and dump it on your manager or dump it on uh, anyone. You come, not only the problem, but an anticipated possible solution to the problem and then you're doing these at structured time so that it's not a constant waste of time. I think most of us can say that whenever you've worked in a corporate environment, I mean, we all roll our eyes at another meeting, really. We have another meeting. And so you know, we can waste time on putting out fires all day long. And so it's about stepping back and going, are these really fires or perceived fires? Are these How important are they? And then that goes back to looking at Does it have anything to do with the mission, vision, motivation of the company or not? And if it doesn't, it's not a massive fire. So maybe it's tabled. And then we can grade the problems. These need to be solved now. These can be solved later.
0: Mm. I love that tomorrow. So tomorrow, our half an hour is coming to a close. So I wanted to thank you for coming on. And I ask you to uh, tell us what's the best way to follow you, track you down. What would you like how would you like to be connected
1: best way to follow me well my website is tamaramccleary.com that's t-a-m-a-r-a-m-c-c-l-e-a-r-y.com and then on twitter i am at tamaramccleary and linkedin same just under my name but um I do a lot of tweeting, as you know, so I'm I on do. Twitter quite a
0: bit. I <laughs> certainly do. Well, who, do you, who, who would be some people you'd give a shout-out to uh, to have other people follow as well, that you know that you know in your circle that you uh, you pay respect to as well in terms of opinion leaders and things you like to listen to?
1: Oh, I would give a shout-out to Brian Kramer. Above his H to H, human-to-human, human, um, I would give a shout-out to uh, Brian Fanzo, He's at I Social Fans. Absolutely adore him, and uh, Ted Rubin, of course. You mentioned him. He's yep. our mutual friend, isn't he? Yes, indeed. And uh, Joel Com, another friend.
0: Super. All yes. right. Well, there's a list. It's it's fun to share who we who we like to follow. So part of building relationships, right? Tomorrow.
1: Oh, and I've got so many. It's so hard to mentor because. I absolutely bloody love people, and um, you know me, I'm huge on social because I adore everybody's message, and I think everybody's message needs to get out there because that's the only way we're going to change the world is if we can support one another and support one another's messages to, to shine a light on the world, and may we all walk in our highest, version of ourselves mm. each day and uh, thank you so much for this beautiful time with you mentor I it's been lovely
0: it. yeah tomorrow that's beautiful all right so listen have a great show i'm sure you're about to go on stage or something <laughs> and uh, we'll stay in touch tomorrow right?
1: all right kiss. Thank you
0: bye bye thanks for having listened to this recording of the mentor dialogue show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe if you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs' Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal me with all your imperfections That you mention in your lack of